turn with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, if you would, please. Romans chapter number 8. We just read five verses in the book of Romans. We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans today. This, uh, this chapter has been called by many, many who study the Bible, many scholars and commentators, as the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, this chapter number 8. And um, we're going to take a few weeks, it's going to take us a few weeks here to study through the book of Romans uh, chapter number 8. Last week we looked through the entire chapter of 7, but we won't be able to do that here with chapter number 8. There's so much there in chapter number 8, and it's going to be encouraging to us. I pray that you'll enjoy our study here as we look at chapter number 8. The Bible says in verse number 1, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We've saw leading up to chapter number 8, we've seen this. In chapter number 7, Paul, Paul pretty much says this, The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I, I don't do. And we saw there's two, two battles. There's two, two, uh, two players in this battle that's raging in our life. The, the, the carnal man that consistently wants us to do the things that our flesh desires for us to do. And the spiritual man, the, the, the spiritual man who's led by the Holy Spirit and, and trying to live the Christian life that the Lord desires for us to live. And we find in chapter number seven that there's this battle that takes place. And Paul, Paul says this, I... Pretty much paraphrasing, I fail at this. I fail at this battle. So oftentimes I give in to my flesh. We get into chapter number 8 and we start with verse number 1. And verse number 1 ought to encourage every believer here today. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at these words in Christ Jesus today, and, and uh, we're going to find something very interesting as well. Paul is going to begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, leading up to this chapter, he only mentions the Holy Spirit twice, leading up to chapter number 8. But in chapter number 8, it's almost some 20 times where he mentions the Holy Spirit in this specific chapter. And we're going to, as we study through chapter 8, we're going to find those areas that he... he um, refers to here in chapter number eight, but we want us to see this morning, the first thing is this, the Bible says there is no more condemnation for sin. Verse number one, there is now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. You know, considering what we know about sin and what we've learned through the first seven chapters of this book, the words here in Romans chapter number eight and verse number one that we read, they come as a shock. They come as a shock. We're, we're all sinful. We find this, that the Bible tells us in Romans, every one of us are sinful. Every one of us, we fall short of God's glory. Every single person in here. You know, there's not a, there's not a person in this world that can say that they're sinless. There's no perfect people. Church isn't a, a place for perfect people. We're all sinners. There's, there's some that maybe you've talked to and they've denied the fact that they've sinned. But the reality is this. Every single person is a sinner. Every person has fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us this, that we've seen the, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There is a price. There is a cost for our sin. And our, our desire to sin, our desire to cave into our carnal nature... It's going to be a battle that we face 
till the day we die. It's always going to be a battle. What we saw last week in chapter number 7, this battle that takes place, there's always going to be a battle. That carnal man, that carnal man inside of you is always going to, to, to uh, wage a war against you. It's always going to want, it's, your flesh is always going to want to be appeased. Your flesh is always going to have a desire to sin. In Paul, in chapter number 7, when he spoke, it's almost as he was discouraged or hopeless about this war that takes place. But in chapter number 8, his tone changes some. And that's where we want to look at here today. We find this as we continue reading. There is no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In verse number two, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know what we find? There is no condemnation. You know what that means this, this morning? There's pardon. There's pardon without penance. There's pardon without penance. You know, all of the religions of the world, except for Christianity, they have some form of penance. There's, there's, there's something, penance is trying to reform or trying to make up for sin by doing something good. In all religions, they, 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 there's some kind of good that you're supposed to do to, to make up for your bad. If you were to study other religions, you'd find where, where the goal is to try to, to do something to merit favor. To try to, to do something, something good, or try to put yourself through something so that you could merit, you could become good, so you could be seen in the eyes of God as doing good. And, and, and we are going to see here in chapter number 8 that there is pardon without penance, meaning this, you are pardoned, there is, there is no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, not because of anything good that you can do or anything good that you ever will do, your pardon is simply in who Christ Jesus is, not something you can do to merit favor. And that's very important for us. It's very important. And as Paul is showing us here this morning... You know, in all other countries, and all other religions, people do all sorts of things to somehow earn a sense of pardon. In the Philippines, not long ago, ten men and one, one woman were voluntarily crucified in a bizarre ritual of penance. If you were to look up this story, you'd find this. The story reports this way. Close to a thousand residents and tourists watched under the hot sun as these 11 people staggered into a fenced knoll where neighbors dressed as Roman centurions awaited with wooden crosses, hammers, and four-inch nails. A man grimaced as the nails were driven into his palms and his feet as he was nailed to a cross. The cross was hoisted aloft for the crowd to see. And this is the 14th year in a row that this man has done this. 14th year in a row that this man has had his hands and his feet nailed to a cross. One American tourist said it's amazing to see people sacrificing, sacrificing themselves for their sins. This, these 11 people, they felt this, and this man that's done it for 14 years in a row now, he felt this, that he must do this so that he could merit favor. And maybe if he put himself through this, or if he put his body through this agony and through this pain, that maybe, just maybe, he would be pardoned for his sin. 
And what this man doesn't realize and what he doesn't know is this, that Jesus Christ has already paid the price for his sin. There's nothing he can do to merit favor. He can't can't put his body through any pain. He can't pay any penance for his sin. His sin debt has already been paid for and your sin debt has already been paid for because of what Jesus Christ has already done upon the cross. There was another man that was photographed in Cuba. He was lying on his back on a dirt road. Attached to his ankle was a long chain, and the other end of that chain was a a rock that he was pulling. He attached himself to this rock, and the caption explained that the man was pulling the rock inch by inch on a pilgrimage to to a sanctuary dedicated to St. Lazarus. He thought, if I could do this, if I could pull myself inch by inch, attached to this rock, and finally come to this place, then maybe, just maybe my sin debt would be paid for. There's another one, even in America, a recent magazine article told of a 67-year-old man who had donated over 100 pints of blood over the years. 100 pints of blood. You know, there's no doubt that I'm sure that helped many of people, and that was very kind of this man to do. But when asked why he did it, he responded, he said this, when the final whistle blows and God asks, what did you do? I'll just say, well, I gave 100 pints of blood. Then he added this with a laugh, that ought to get me in. How tragic. How tragic. This man is giving 100 pints of blood, thinking that might be a way for him to get into heaven. You know what this man needs to discover? He needs to discover this. He's trusting in the wrong blood. The only blood that will get him into heaven is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. These are just a couple examples, a few examples, but these things happen all around our world in all types of religion where many of people are trying to do works, trying to pay penance to get themselves into heaven. The reality is this, there's not going to be a time where you stand and God says, why should I let you in? You are either in Christ or you're not. According to chapter number one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. You are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And the only way for one to be in Christ, and we've seen this through uh, Romans leading up to chapter number 8, is for one to repent of their sins and trust in the finished work of the cross. There's nothing more that a person can do that Jesus Christ has not already done. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus and Jesus alone on what he did upon the cross. We find this that Paul tells us in verse number 1, there's no more condemnation. That means this, there's pardon without penance. There's pardon pardon without parole. Secondly, please notice that pardon is not a parole. I, uh, there's a certain channel I enjoy watching, and uh, it's, it's all the crime, all the crime stuff, stuff on TV. They show you all these, the bad stepmothers, and how not to kill your husband, and all these things, these shows, and... I'll watch these and my wife will say, just turn it off. These are crazy, I see. But these are real stories. They're true. They're exciting. Growing up, if you were to look in yearbooks, you'd find that I always wanted to be a police officer. My brother always wanted to be a a preacher. And 
I don't know what happened. He's a police officer and I'm the preacher today. And I don't know if they put us wrong in the yearbook, but, but I've got this interest. I like to watch these things. You know, this parole, parole is this. If you were to get out on parole, you're still, they're still watching you. At any time, if you were to get into trouble, you may have to go back and serve the sentence that you, you uh, were paroled from. And the, the, pardon, the pardon man is free. What, what Paul is talking about here, it's pardon without parole. A pardon man, he is free. While the paroled man, he is, he is under conditions. If, if a man who is, is on parole gets into any trouble, he's got to go back and finish serving his time. But a pardoned man, he is free. There's no, there's no condemnation to this man. To be pardoned suggests that all guilt, every guilt, everything that you have done, it's stricken from the record. To be pardoned means this, when you're seen, you have no more, no more guilt on your record, no more shame on your record, no more, no more mark on your record. You are pardoned. You are free. And Paul says this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. In verse number two, from the law of sin and of death. You see, the only condition that we are in is we are in Christ Jesus. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases. In, in every, every book that Paul writes, he, he references, he talks about this being in Christ, being in Christ. The Old Testament story of Noah's Ark, I have seen, I know some in here have gone to this new attraction, Noah's Ark, and I've seen some pictures of some folks there, and, and I know that is a, a, a great attraction in Kentucky a lot of folks are going to, and, and it's more, if you really look at the facts of the Ark, it's more than just, more than just a, a big ship with a lot of animals on it, it represents something. It's more than just a, a, an attraction there to go to see. It's a, there's a truth there that if we were to study it and really understand what it means, that ark, it was built and God commanded Noah to, to cover that ark with pitch from inside and outside and, and, and cause it not to, not to allow water to come in. And then he says, I want you to take your, take your family and I want you to get inside of the ark. You know what he didn't say to Noah? I want you to put some, some ladders on the outside, and, and if you'll just hold on, hopefully you'll make it through this storm. If you can hold on tight enough, if your family can hold on tight enough, if you could just stay on the outside, hopefully you'll make it through all the storm that's going to come and all the rain and all the floods that's going to come. That's not what he told Noah. He said, Noah, get inside the ark. And once you're in the ark, you are safe. You are safe from that storm. That flood is not going to harm you. That flood is not going to get your family. You are in that ark. And the same thing is true. And he uses these words that we are in Christ. We are in we are safe and we are free from sin when we are found in Christ Jesus I want you to see secondly this morning here as we continue in verse number two for the law of the spirit of life I want you to see that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death you know there's no more control by sin First of this morning, there's no, no more condemnation for sin in verse number one. In verse number two, there's no more control by sin. You see, the good news just got even better. Not only is there no more condemnation to those in Christ, but there's no more control by sin either. 
You're free. Someone now lives inside. You see, there's something different. A person that's lost, a person that has never trusted in Jesus Christ, they don't have what verse number 2 tells us the person that is in Christ has for the law of the Spirit of life. You see that word Spirit that's capitalized there? That's the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And because of the Spirit of life, we have no more control by sin. Paul, his reference to the Holy Spirit, as I said, leading up to chapter number 8 just twice. In this chapter, he's going to reference the Holy Spirit many a times. And he gives a very special name in chapter number 8, verse 2, to the Holy Spirit. He says, for the law of the Spirit of life. Paul says very plainly that a new law is in effect. The law of the Spirit The law of the Spirit of life is here to replace the old law. The Holy Spirit of God is given to each person the moment they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, empowering you, comforting you, and giving you strength. Look with me in verse number 4 of chapter 7, if you would please. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Let me read that again, verse number 4 of chapter 7. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You see, the law, the law no longer has any jurisdiction over you or me. You're dead to the law. You're free, free from the law. We're dead, Uh, verse 4 of chapter 7 tells us. In verse number 2 of chapter 8, it tells us that we are are free. We're dead in our sins. But at the moment we receive Christ, we come to life by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me give you an illustration, if you would allow me this morning. All of us here today are under the law of gravity. Every single one of us. You didn't have to tie yourself to the chair. There's no one here today that you've tied yourself down so that you don't just start rising up. Every single person here, we are under the law of gravity. And the same thing, the same thing is true with, with uh, if I were to take this Bible here this morning, the, if I were to let go of this Bible, the Bible's going to fall. It's the law of gravity. If I were to move my hand, this Bible is going to go to the ground. Same thing with you. If you were to put something in your hand, you are not going to to remove your hand and that thing continue to float. It will fall. And the reason why, it's because of the law of gravity. The Bible here, this physical book, it's powerless to overcome the downward pull of, of, of gravity. In its very nature is going to be the fall. The same with me. I, I, uh, uh, gravity pulls me down. I don't just keep rising, keep moving, uh, and have to be tied down. Gravity holds me down. But let's say this. They suppose that before it hits the ground, someone reaches out. And before my Bible to hit the ground, somebody reached out from the front row there. They would reach out and they'd grab my Bible. They lift it higher and higher in defiance of the law of gravity. 
You see, the law of the spirit of life in this person's arm overcomes the law of gravity. And the law of gravity doesn't cease to be true, but a higher law has become force. And that's what Paul is saying here in, in using that same illustration, the, the law of the spirit of life. It is a more powerful force than the, the law. The Holy Spirit has great power. The Holy Spirit has the authority. The Holy Spirit has the ability to, to give us a new life and cause us to be free in Christ. In verse number two, the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law. The law has no effect on me now that I'm saved. Law is powerless. In the same way, it is the life of the Spirit and the strength of the Spirit that gives me the strength that I need to live this life free from sin. In verse number three and four, if you'll help me by reading there along with me for that, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the uh, flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh in for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In verse number five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Thirdly, I want you to see this morning is this. There's no more continuance. There's no more continuance in sin. And so there's no more condemnation, the Bible says in verse number one. In verse number two, the Bible says there's no more control. In these three verses, we find this. There's no more continuance in sin. Now, we need to understand, again, what Paul is, he is trying to help us to understand. We just got done. They, there is therefore. He, he says those three words in chapter number eight. He's coming off of chapter number seven, again, saying this. There's a battle inside of you. There is a, the, the new man. There is the carnal man versus the new man, the spiritual man. And they're constantly warring against each other. The carnal man wants you to sin. The new man, the, the spiritual man, led by the Holy Spirit, is convicting you and telling you that that's not what we ought to do. Don't give in to the flesh. And the carnal man is saying, I like sin. I enjoy sin. We need this sin. And, and the spiritual man led by the Holy Spirit, we give to him. He tells us, he convicts us, he comforts us, he shows us that we do not have to live under the power of sin. And so this war is continuing to take place. And Paul says, there is therefore no condemnation. There's no condemnation, there's no control, and there's no continuance in sin. For what the law, the law could not do, look with me again in verse number three, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. You know what the law couldn't do? It couldn't clean you up. It can't justify you. The law, it can't make you perfect. The law only reveals how dirty we are. The law just shows us that you can't keep the law. The law just shows us that you can't fulfill the law. The law shows us if you break one, you've broken all the commandments. There's nothing you can do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how, what, what you do, you cannot keep the law. The law is not there to make us perfect. It's not there to justify us. It's there to reveal to us how dirty we truly are. You know what we find here in Romans chapter 8? That only God can clean you up, not the law. 
Only God can redeem you and reconcile you to himself, not the law. Only God, only God can do this. Only God can redeem you. Jesus came and he appeased the law. There's nothing you can do in keeping the law that's going to cause you to be saved. The law will just show you that you can't do any of this. But God, through Jesus Christ, he and only him, Jesus can reconcile you back to God. You see, Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus came in the likeness of a sinful flesh. He took on a body that could be crucified. Jesus became man. And this is why it's so important. There's so many people that deny the deity of Christ. They, they, they say that he was a good man or he was just a prophet. And Jesus was a good man, obviously. He was a preacher, obviously. But he was more than just a good man. He was God. He was God in flesh. He became flesh so that he could die upon the cross so that you and I could be redeemed back to God. The anointing work of Christ involved death so that you and I could have life. Let me say that again for each of us. Listen to this closely, if you would, please. The anointing work of Christ, it involved death so that you and I could have life. We have life because Jesus Christ died upon the cross. And that's the only way for us to have everlasting life. You see, punishment and wrath, it was meted out, it was given out upon Him so that we could be saved from the wrath of God. God was, sin has to be paid for. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a God that cannot allow sin into His presence. And in order for us as human beings to be able to be in God's presence, for us to have eternal life, there had to be a payment for sin. God's wrath had to be given towards sin. And, and God, His wrath was, was, was given towards sin upon the cross. And because of that, we can have life through Jesus Christ. The moment you accepted that lamb, the moment you accepted that sacrifice that Jesus Christ was as your substitute, as soon as you exercise faith in the Savior alone, the Spirit of life brought you, this, brought you the Spirit of life, brought your Spirit of life. So we could have life, we could have this Spirit of life because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. You see, the Spirit, it points us to Christ. Those that are truly walking the Spirit, they live truly there or in Christ. If you are saved, you are in Christ. The Spirit points you to Christ. Verse number four says this, the law could be fulfilled in us. Notice that it is not fulfilled by us. It is not something we can do. It's not something that, that we can do or that can be done by us. It can only be done by the finished work upon the cross. There is a if you were to, to uh, watch the president maybe come up and speak, you'd find this, a spotlight might come on him. And as a spotlight follows the president of the United States as he approaches the podium, the, you know what the audience, it doesn't ever turn and clap for the, the spotlight operator. Never turns and thanks the spotlight operator. The spotlight operator, he has simply the job of shining the light on the one that's speaking, the great one. 
The Holy Spirit is the same way. The Holy Spirit shines a light upon Christ and points us to the Redeemer. He points mankind to the Redeemer. He highlights the work of Christ on, on our behalf. He, he shows us, He's the Spirit of life. He shows us that we, we, there's nothing we can do, that Christ has done it all. Christ went to the cross. He shed His blood. He paid the payment for sin. And He points mankind to the cross. He points mankind to Christ. He points mankind to the work that, that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And because He did it, we no longer have to. There's no continuance in sin. The people in the movements that overemphasize the Holy Spirit, they've missed it. You know, the Holy Spirit of God, He never draws attention to Himself. The Holy Spirit of God always points man to Jesus Christ. You know, if a believer, if a believer wants to know if he's walking in the Spirit, he needs to simply ask himself this question. My, is my life focused on bringing attention to Jesus Christ? I would ask each person this question this morning. Is your life focused on bringing attention to Jesus Christ? Is that what your life is focused upon? You see, we don't have to focus our life upon continuing in sin. We don't have to focus our life upon trying to appease our flesh. We don't have to focus our life upon the things of this world and desiring the, the lust of our flesh. Our life, if we are led by the Spirit, our life ought to be focused on bringing attention to Jesus Christ. There's no more continuance in sin. Verse number four, that the righteous of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, the king's pardon, it silences the guilt for your conscience about your past. Satan, Satan will remind Peter, remember Peter, the, the time that the rooster crowed, he'll remind David. Dave, remember the time of Bathsheba? He'll remind Paul, remember the Christians that you stoned? And Satan will do the same thing. He'll, he'll cause you to remember your guilt. Remember the sin you did before. Remember the sin that you've done in the past. And he'll cause you to, to remember that sin, remember that guilt, and remember that pain. Remember those things. But when that old liar, he comes along, you know what I recommend we do? Point him to Mount Calvary. Calvary, point him to the cross and remind him that God has forgiven you. You do not have to continue in your sin. You don't have to continue to sin. We are free from the sin and we have power through the spirit of life that lives inside of us. There is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a mother that once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice. Injustice demanded death. And she said this, but I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. The reply was this, but your son does, doesn't deserve mercy, uh, was the reply. And she said, sir, the, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared that woman's son. Listen, you know what justice deserves, says? We deserve death. 
Every single person here, we've already learned in the book of Romans, every single person here is a sinner. Every single person here has committed sin. Because we commit, have committed sin, the wages of sin is death. Every single person deserves death. But mercy, mercy is given to us. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But because Jesus Christ died upon the cross, we can have mercy. God grants us mercy. And the reason why is because our sin debt was paid. Jesus Christ did pay our sin debt. What Jesus Christ did upon the cross, it did satisfy the debt that was owed. And because of that, now we have mercy. You see, this morning, you don't have to drag a big rock along the ground to get God's attention. You don't have to repeat a dozen prayers to jog His memory. You don't have to feel the pain of nails being driven into your hands and your feet. The reason why is His Son has already paid the punishment for you. You don't have to pay penance. Your sin debt's been paid in full. There's nothing for you to do but put your, put your faith in the one who's already done it all. And that one is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says this, there's no more continuance. We don't have to continue. We don't have to have, live in condemnation. We don't li have to live in control. And we don't have to live in continuance of sin because once we're saved, the Holy Spirit of God now dwells inside of us. Gives us that spirit of life. Look with me again in verse number 5 and we through this morning. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit things of the Spirit. We don't have to continue in sin. You see, if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, you are living in sin. Your sin will condemn you. You will, you will for all of eternity have to pay that sin debt. You don't have to because Jesus Christ has already done it. But this morning, what you must do is you must see yourself as a sinner. You must turn from that sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not Him plus something, but Him alone. And receive Him as your Savior. And you no longer have to be under the condemnation of sin. You no longer have to be under the control of sin. You no longer have to live in continuance in sin. You can be free because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ this morning, I urge you this morning, put your faith and trust in Him. And my friend brother in Christ, sister in Christ, if you are saved, there is no reason for us to continue to live in sin. We are free from the bondage of sin. We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us that we need to allow to control us and we need to live uh, 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 under, under, under letting Him control us so that we can live a life that points others to Jesus Christ. Does your life does your life point and bring attention to Jesus Christ? Or does your life
bring attention to the lust of your flesh, to the sin of this world. What does your life bring attention to this morning?